We finish today our journey looking at the solas of the Reformation. Dr. Munseth used to call them the hallmarks of the Reformation. Today we look at the glory of God alone, and we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we begin reading at verse 18, and we read in Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice today in this Palm Sunday. We rejoice in the events of this week where Jesus came to Jerusalem, willing to lay down his life that he might take it up again, as the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. Jesus suffered on that cross for us. And in that we boast today, in that we rejoice, in that that we praise you, O God, for all that you have done to save us, to give us eternal life, to give us forgiveness and hope. And I pray, Lord, that all that has been said this morning, all that we have sung, all that will be said now would redound to the glory and the praise of your precious name, O Jesus. For we pray in your name. Amen. Fourth of July was a a great time of celebration when I was a young boy. We used to go to Upper Michigan and little town of Dollar Bay had really quite a celebration for a little town. There was a parade with fire trucks and horses, which we all loved. And the 
candy that was thrown all over, you know, little kids going up to pick up candy. And then there was a great uh, celebration in the fire hall in Dollar Bay where my uncle would hand out these tickets and you could use them to get uh, candy and pop and all kinds of stuff like that. And because I was his favorite nephew, he'd give me a few extra, you know, those tickets. And then we'd go to Aunt Elner's place for lunch to eat at noontime. And her husband always baked beans underground. I don't know if I've ever had those before, but underground baked beans, and we'd eat those. And we always waited for dessert because my aunt made strawberry shortcake. And it was pretty good strawberry shortcake. And, th- and she thought it was pretty good sh- shortcake too because when we finally sit down and, and everybody get their shortcake, she'd take a bite and she'd say, Mmm, isn't this good. And we would think, oh, Elner, you're bragging about your cooking. You're boasting about your own cooking. Mmm, isn't this good. You know, no matter who we are, we all like to boast a little, don't we? In a humble way, of, uh, of course, if that's possible. Huh? Could be about our education. Could be about our grades, our money, our, our children or our grandchildren, or our awards, or our athletic accomplishments, and the list kind of goes on and on, doesn't it? And some people even boast about their nationality. saw a bumper sticker once that said, It is hard to be proud when you're a Norwegian. I never understood that. If I was Norwegian, I wouldn't want it to be known. I wouldn't boast about that, would you? You're offended already, aren't you? There's many Norwegians here. Well, we like to boast about things. And yet Paul tells us in this passage of Scripture what we ought to boast in. It is not our wisdom. It is not our money. It is not our education. It is not our good looks. It is nothing. And in the last verse of the chapter, he says this, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so I've given this message the title, It's Time to Boast. Not about ourselves, but about Jesus. To give Him all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. That's the fifth of the soul as we look at. And everything we've looked at up to this point really leads to this. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, the Word of God alone, and it all culminates then in giving praise and glory to God. That's what we ought to be about. If we're going to boast today, we boast in the Lord. Three reasons. Number one, we ought to boast in the Lord because the power of the cross is life-changing. Verse 18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To the ancient Greeks of Paul's day, they really loved philosophy. They had as many as 50 philosophical parties, and they all prided themselves in their knowledge. They thought they were pretty wise as they debated the meaning of of life. 
So when the early Christians came along and they preached the message of the cross, it was viewed by the Greeks as foolishness. How could the death of a man outside the city of Jerusalem bring hope to the world? To the Greeks, that just didn't make any sense at all. It was way too simple. It allowed no place for man's effort, man's attainment, man's understanding, man's wisdom. To the intellectual Greek mind of the day, it just didn't make sense. As Paul often did in his writings and preachings, he goes back to the Old Testament to prove that which he says is true. And and in verse 19, then, he quotes a verse from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14. He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And what's interesting is to look at the context of this quote. It's written by Isaiah when Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, was planning to conquer Judah. In his pride, he sent messengers to Hezekiah the king, telling him that there was no way, no hope for Judah to be saved. No other nation had defeated him. No other gods could stand up to them. And neither would the people of Judah be able to do that. But you know, God had another plan. A plan to deliver His people, and it didn't have anything to do with the wisdom or the power of man. In fact, if you read in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, here is how God defeated the Assyrian army. It says, Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. Can you imagine 185,000 soldiers lying dead on the ground? The people of Judah did nothing. God did it all. Their plans that they may have had didn't matter. The plans of the Assyrians didn't matter because God destroyed the wisdom of the wise. Isn't this exactly what God does when He saves us from our sin? We aren't saved by human wisdom. We aren't saved by our intelligence or our philosophy. We are saved by simply believing the message of the cross. It is the death and resurrection of Jesus that gives us life, and that's why Paul tells us that it makes the wisdom of the world look foolish. Look at verse 20. Paul asks the question, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. He goes on to say, For indeed Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. 
to the Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the world looks at the cross and they say, what a foolish thing, what a foolish idea. Paul says that's where wisdom is found, because that's where our hope is found. It's in what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. The world has nothing to offer that can change a person's life. But the message of the cross, it does. John MacArthur says, Could the apostle have written anything more appropriate for our own day? Where have our great thinkers... Our philosophers, sociologists, psychologists, economists, scientists, and statesmen brought us. Never before has mankind been so fearful of self-destruction or so self-consciously perplexed, confused, and corrupt. Modern human wisdom has failed just as ancient human wisdom has failed, except that its failure comes faster and spreads farther. The outer life improves in a material way, while the inner life seems to have correspondingly less meaning. The real issues are not solved. So we aren't going to find answers for our greatest needs from the world. We're not going to find it in philosophy or Greek wisdom. We find the answer to our greatest need, which is forgiveness of sins, through the cross of Jesus. So we boast in the Lord today. We seek to give Him glory and praise because the power of the cross is life-changing. The second reason Paul gives to us we ought to boast of the Lord is because the people that He uses are ordinary people. You look at verse 26, it's almost as if Paul is thinking through the the membership list of the Corinthian congregation. (laughs) And he says this to them. He says, Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. He didn't say not any. Because that would not be good, right? But he said, not many. Most of you are just ordinary people. And I suppose we would probably say the same about us, right? Any of us have noble birth? We're just ordinary people. And God chooses ordinary people for some very specific reasons. One reason is because most of those who are wise and influential according to the world's standard don't think they need God. They are part of the upper echelon of society and, and they tend to be very, very self-sufficient. Got their money, they've got their education, they've got their popularity, whatever it is, and they're pretty self-sufficient. Remember our governor some years ago, Governor Jesse Ventura? Uh, He said he doesn't need religion as a crutch. Evidently, he's able to pull himself up by his own bootstraps. He doesn't need God. 
And he's not the only one. Our world is filled with people like that. They don't need this crutch that we need. I'm not ashamed. I need more than a crutch. I need a Savior, and I'm glad Jesus is my Savior. But there it is. They don't think they need God. But God uses ordinary people because it is easier for others to see God's greatness through ordinary people. Verse 27 says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that He might nullify the things that are. What's the reason? So that no man may boast before God. God delights in using ordinary people because through them He shows the world His glory. Remember Peter and John when they were gathered there before the Sanhedrin? Acts chapter 4. And they were brought in because of the blind man that was healed at the temple, you know. And they were asked, by what power do you do this? And Peter was filled with the Spirit. He said, it's by the name of Jesus. And then Acts 4.13 says, when they saw the boldness, the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were depending on the translation, ignorant, ordinary men, they took knowledge that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus was displayed through these ordinary men, displaying to the world the power and glory of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, that we are jars of what? Clay. Why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So we boast in the Lord today because He takes the ordinary. He takes those that are not mighty and, and, and wealthy and wise according to the standards of the world so that no one is going to boast before God. The third reason Paul gives why we ought to boast in the Lord is because our riches in Christ are abundant. Notice verse 30, Paul says, But by His doing, God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So we who know the Lord, we who have a living relationship with Jesus, we have an abundance of riches. And they are spiritual in nature, aren't they? Paul mentions four of them in our text. He mentions wisdom. By His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. And the wisdom that Paul is referring to here is not like the wisdom of the world. It is totally different. 
Look in chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. A few verses later, Paul says that we experience this wisdom because the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual understanding. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. When you come to know Jesus as your Savior, the Spirit of God dwells within you. And the Holy Spirit then gives us wisdom. He gives us understanding so that we begin to see the world and, and, and everything in it from God's perspective. And it's kind of like the, 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 the light turns on in your head. It's just like, whoa. You begin to understand the things of God, the things of His Word. That's found in Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. And not only wisdom, but righteousness. Not in terms of our living here so much, but our standing before God. The word is used in a forensic sense in that it pictures God who pronounces His verdict that we are righteous by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In our Sunday school class this morning, we were looking at Colossians chapter 2. And one of the things we talked about at our table is how many times Paul says, in Him, Jesus, or with Him, it's all wrapped up in Jesus. Our wisdom is Him. Our righteousness is Him. Our life is in Him. It's all about Jesus. Wisdom. Righteousness. And then he uses the term sanctification. Sanctification. Because Jesus dwells in us by faith, God is in the process of transforming us. An ongoing process of changing us. Like one man said, I'm, I am not sinless, but by the grace of God I do sin less. God was doing a work in that man's life sanctification. And then the last word he uses is, is redemption. To buy back through the payment of a ransom. And that ransom was the blood of Jesus as of a lamb without blemish. We were not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ our Savior. It's no wonder Paul concludes then by giving glory to God. He is the one who has done everything to give us salvation. And that's why Paul then quotes in verse 31 this verse, let him who boasts, 
boast in the Lord. So let me ask you, what are you boasting in today? What are you proud of today? What are you, what was your focus today? Is it your own wisdom, your education? Is it your wealth, your position in life? You know, when you stand before God one day, it won't matter how wise you were or how much education you had. It won't matter how rich you were or how high you climbed the corporate ladder. The only thing that will matter is if you know Jesus and you've lived your life for the glory of And the praise of God. Everything we have, everything we have comes from the Lord. So if we're going to boast today, it's time to boast in the Lord. Give Him the praise, the glory, the honor for everything we have. All that He's done to save us, to forgive us, to give us hope for eternity. It's time to boast but to boast in Jesus. Let's pray. To you alone, O God, belongs the glory, the honor, and the praise. You have given your Son to save us. You have provided salvation for us. You've given us your word, Lord Jesus, to show us our need and to draw us to Yourself. And You've given Your Spirit, O God, to work through that Word to bring about conviction of sin and the assurance that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient for our salvation. Lord, we praise You. To You alone be the glory and the praise. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.